Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved. An alcoholic. Failure. Agnostic. Partier. Liar. Drug addict. A wretch. Like me. I once was broken. Resentful. Helpless. Depressed. Out of control. Abandoned. Selfish. Self-destructive. Angry. Confused. Just lost. But now. I'm sober. Happy. Peaceful. Grateful. Free. Alive. Forgiven. I'm found. I was blind. To God. To faith. To love. Pero ahora, yo veo. everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to Faces of Grace. This is week two. I'm Tim, one of the pastors. Hey, we need to welcome the rest of our church family. We have folks who are joining us today in New Brunswick, Nutley Mountainside in a couple of weeks. Somerset County is coming. Give them a hand. We're glad that you guys are here. We're on Church Online. Praise God for you. Hey, before we dive in, I just want to start with, you know, some kind of funny, I, you know, I like jokes. This one isn't always theologically correct. Uh, but uh, this, you know, Faces of Grace reminds me of this funny story about a, a middle-aged woman who had a heart attack. And on the operating table, she asked God, is this it? You know, is this the end? And God said, uh, no, no, you have 40 more years. That's what she felt like he said. So she recovers and decides to stay at the hospital so she could get a facelift. She had a major facelift. She got a tummy tuck, liposuction, extreme makeover. She figured, hey, if I'm going to live 40 more years, I want to look good, right? So two weeks later, she's leaving the hospital. She's hit by a bus. She's killed instantly. She gets to heaven and says, God, I thought you said I had 40 more years. And God shook his head and said, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. I just... <laughs> Again, not theologically correct there. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, you know, I look, we take faith seriously ourselves, not so much. But today we're going to look at a face of grace found in Luke 19. So you can open your Bible there. We put one on your seat. You can open that up. This is a familiar face you may recognize from your youth. Story about Jesus' face-to-face encounter with a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, do you remember the little song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That was like my Mumford and Sons version of that. Um, I asked the worship team, can you play? They're like, we're never playing it. I'm sorry, we're not going to do it. Um, if you're new to church, you're like, this is just weird. What, is, what are you talking about? Zacchaeus was more than just a wee little man. He was a man idolizing money and power and ripping off his neighbors. And here in Luke 19, when Jesus meets him face to face and he has this encounter with radical grace, grace is God's unearned, undeserved love, his no-strings-attached acceptance and affection towards sinful people like me, his life has changed. And your life will change too if it's touched by grace. So let's look at Luke 19. We'll start at verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho. He's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back how many times? Four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This to me is one of the most remarkable stories of the transformational power of grace in the gospels. It's very short, very simple, but deeply profound as you see what happens when God's one-way love for sinners like Zacchaeus take root. I'm going to call him Zach for short, pardon the pun. Uh, There is kind of a comic element here to Luke 19 because Zacchaeus is a short little guy when the Jesus parade rolls into town. He's passing by and he had to climb a tree uh, to see over everyone's shoulders. Now, it was a tree probably, I'm guessing, bigger than this one, okay? Let's acknowledge that. But uh, a sycamore tree is actually one with very wide branches, very big branches. So Zacchaeus kind of scrambles up in there because he's curious. Jesus is blowing up. His popularity is rising. He's very famous at this point. Jesus has a healing ministry. He's doing things no one's ever done. He's saying things no one's ever said. And people are pressing to see him. He's getting mobbed. And Zacchaeus is kind of curious. He wants to see what the fuss is about. But he comes up kind of short because he's a short person. Quick show of hands. Any short people here today? You're short. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm short. Okay. Oh, okay. A bunch of hands. There may be more in the back. I just can't see you. (laughs) That's bad. That's, that's, That's very bad. We'll call you vertically challenged, all right? Uh, if you know you're, you know you're short, right? When, when you, you know, here's how you know you're short. You know you're short when you, when, when it rains and you're the last to know. You, you know you're short when you go bungee jumping off of your front porch. You know you're short if you're very angry about me telling short jokes. And you're like, I'm going to kick him right in the ankles. I'm so angry at him. No, I'll be sensitive. Today, we're not going to call you short. We're going to call you fun-sized, okay? We have a lot to learn from our fun-sized friend Zacchaeus here because he's really one of the most unlikely people ever to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, because Zacchaeus was not popular, had nothing to do with his height, had to do with this fact. Verse 2, he was a chief tax collector. Have you ever read the New Testament and wondered, like, what is the deal with tax collectors? Like, they're always spoken of in such a disparaging way. It's like, oh, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Like, we get that nobody likes taxes. They didn't, we don't like them in the 21st century. No one likes them in the first. But like, why such personal hostility. Why the venom? Well, this week I did a little research, discovered something kind of interesting. In the first century, Israel was occupied by Rome, right? So the Roman Empire. To finance their empire, the Romans levied exorbitant taxes on the nations that they occupied. 30, 40% of your income went to the Romans. It wasn't plowed back into your, your government. It went to Caesar. And to Jewish people, this felt very unfair because Their taxes are supporting a pagan government that said, Caesar is God. Caesar is Lord. And so this felt very unfair. It felt like this is the ultimate betrayal. When we pay taxes, we're being disloyal to our country and we're disloyal to God. So the Romans came up with a plan. They're like, hey, let's get local Jews 
to shake down their neighbors for us. Jewish tax collectors would go door to door for Caesar collecting taxes, and then they would skim off the top. Now, I want you to imagine this, this you know, Zacchaeus, right, little, little guy. I want you to imagine there's a knock on your door. They open up, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's Joe Pesci. All right, come on, pay up. Let's go. Little more. Little more. Come on, keep it coming. Keep it coming. And you look over his shoulder, which is not hard to do, and you see, and you see Roman guards with their swords. So you're like, he brought muscle. You don't have a choice. It's a shakedown. It's extortion. You have to pay up. So long, Saka. They would skim off the top, and you had no choice. So understand tax collectors were politically approved thieves, and they got rich by ripping off their fellow Jews. So they were traitors. They were thieves. They were Benedict Arnold's. That's why Zacchaeus is unpopular. It's not because he's short. He's a thief, this greedy, beady-eyed turncoat. Not only that, notice it says he was the what tax collector? The chief. In other words, he runs the whole crew. He not only shook down his neighbors, he oversaw the other tax collectors under him. And then he would skim off of them whatever they skimmed off of people. So he's the chief of cheaters at the top of a pyramid scheme. It's really not overstating it to say that Zacchaeus was the Bernie Madoff of Jericho. (laughs) Remember Bernie Madoff? New York investor, 2009, pled guilty to 11 federal felonies for turning his wealth management business into a massive Ponzi scheme. Madoff cheated his friends, his neighbors, and investors out of $65 billion. $65 billion. I want you to imagine that. Thousands of families, people swindled out of their life savings, their college, their retirement funds. Madoff got, I think it was like 150 years in prison. It was the maximum allowed. Essentially, that's who Zacchaeus is. He is the Bernie Madoff of Jericho. And to say he was like socially unpopular is an understatement. The entire town knew who he was and they wished he was dead. They hated him. They would have been happy if he had fell out of the tree, broke his neck and died. Okay. Which is what makes Jesus' response to him so frustrating. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He's teaching healing huge crowds. Zacchaeus climbs this tree to catch a glimpse. I want you to imagine this. Here comes a Jesus friend. Woo, Jesus, go. Hashtag team Jesus. Verse 5, look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, stop the parade. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, right? You, Z-man, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Jesus stops, he points, he singles out Zacchaeus, and he's like, you, come down immediately. And he says, I must stay at your house today. And that phrase commentators say is so forceful. Notice it's not a request like, hey, can I swing by your house later? (laughs) It's not a suggestion. Hey, would you, you know, let's share a uh, pumpkin spice latte maybe at Starbucks later. We'll talk. Jesus says, no, no, I must, I must I must stay at your house today. In other words, it's an imperative. It's Jesus' way of saying, you, my friend, are precisely why I came. You want to know the reason why the Father sent me to the, the Son to the earth? This is the reason. Remember? We learned in John last week, Jesus came for the Father full of what? Grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is like, I'm about to demonstrate to you what the scandalous nature of God's love and mercy for those who seem hopeless for moral failures, for people who are hard to love. This is central to my mission. It's precisely why I came. In other words, instead of pointing the finger, he opens his hand. He says, come on down. I want to be friends. I want to embrace this guy. Here's a question. How do you think people in the crowd felt? How do the honest people, how do the church people feel? (laughs) Shocked? Confused? 
offended. Again, we have the benefit of hindsight, but it's very uh, easy to miss how upsetting this would have been to the, the crowd. As you probably heard, Pope Francis is visiting New York City for his first papal visit. Everyone loves Francis, right? Very humble leader, servant of Christ. I want you to imagine that Pope Francis is visiting New York. And in the middle of his press conference at Madison Square Garden, they say, Your Excellency, what has brought you to America? Why did you fly all the way around the world to come to the United States? And the Pope says, The reason I came to America, one reason, it is to visit with Bernie Madoff. That is why I have come. What? He's in town, right? He's incarcerated, right? That's the reason I came, I want to spend the weekend with Bernie, right? <laughs> I don't even know what accent that is, but I just was there. <laughs> Sound like a vampire. Well, I'm something. That's weird. Can you imagine the outrage? All the people clamoring for the Pope's attention, right? The priests are like, I hope he visits our congregation. The journalists dying for an interview. The, the politicians, all the big. Imagine the Pope ignores all of them and he marches straight to the prison and says to the warden, I am here to have lunch with Bernie. It's just my number one priority. And he's not there to condemn him or kind of be like, oh, how could you kind of judgment. He says, I want to extend spiritual friendship to the one guy no one wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. How do you think the media would respond? How would you respond? I think the crowd would have been scandalized, probably feel insulted, like, what? what are you I thought you're coming to encourage the faithful, and you're here for Bernie? Jesus wants to have lunch with Zacchaeus? Guys, this is wildly unpopular. Jesus' public approval ratings would have taken a huge hit. He's not, Jesus isn't trying to score points with his base, but if he was, his poll numbers would have tanked. Jesus, don't you know who this guy is? Don't you know what he's done to us? This is the last guy you should be associated with. In fact, if Jesus wanted to score points with the crowd, he would have stopped the Jesus prayer and he would have said, you in the tree, Zacchaeus, right? Yep, Zacchaeus. Who's got rope? Let's hang him. <laughs> they would have roared. This crowd would have loved it. See, the people were waiting for a savior to finally deliver God's judgment to right the wrongs, to be the white knight who's going to root out corruption. But Jesus doesn't point the finger. He extends a hand of friendship. So frustrating, Jesus. It's like he's intentionally trying to stir the pot. Grace does that. <laughs> I think Zacchaeus was shocked too. <laughs> you can almost imagine his, um, his incredulous reply. You, you want to come to my house? <laughs> you want to you be my friend? You want to have lunch with me? <laughs> Hell yeah. No, sorry, Jesus. A rabbi, yes. Uh, I'll have <laughs> he would have been, grace is scandalous, isn't it? God's one-way love for sinners, it comes when we least expect it to those who least deserve it, but precisely when they need it the most. I wonder how long it had been since anybody visited Zacchaeus. I mean, did he even have any friends left? I mean, if you're the chief tax collector... To get to that position means you probably left a pile of bodies under the bus. <laughs> he idolized money and sacrificed relationships on the altar of ambition. Do you know anybody who has a career and they've like totally like sacrificed their friendships and their relationships to get where they are? See, in addition to being lost, maybe Zacchaeus was lonely. Maybe he was desperate as we all are for acceptance. Whatever the, the case, his enthusiastic response to Jesus suggests he knows exactly what his situation is in life. And the truth is Jesus is offensive and grace is scandalous, especially to religious people, people like us in the church. Because his open-armed embrace of a notorious crook offends the crowd. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this, 
and began to mutter, oh, for heaven's sakes, he's got, <laughs> he's got to be the guest of a sinner. They're angry. <laughs> They're like, Jesus, you're a holy man. You don't, now you go break bread with the most despised guy in the city and watch, watch what happens. By having dinner with a sinner, Jesus now becomes the object of wrath and scorn and ridicule himself. All the anger and a judgment heaped on Zacchaeus now, watch, shifts to Jesus. And friends, this is a preview of why Jesus came, is it not? Question, why is Jesus passing through Jericho? Why is there a parade? Where is Jesus going? He's passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, where another tree is waiting for him. Why is this episode central to the mission of Jesus? Because the cross is central to Jesus' mission. And this is a preview of what Jesus came to do. See, on the cross, Jesus literally took our sin on his shoulders, and he received all of the wrath, the judgment, the scorn of God that we deserved. And we see a preview here with Zacchaeus, because by associating himself with a notorious sinner, Jesus himself now receives the scorn and ridicule from the crowd. Notice the, the shift. The venom, the anger, the hatred from the mob gets redirected from Zacchaeus. Now it's on Jesus. The judgment of Zacchaeus heaped on Jesus' shoulders. In other words, in many ways, Jesus got guilt by association. But what does Zacchaeus get? Grace by association. Do you understand why he's excited? See, to be a friend of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, here's what it means. It means our badness, all of our badness, gets transferred over to Jesus. But on the cross, watch, that's not all. His goodness gets credited to us. See, because Jesus lived the sinless life, he lived the only perfect life, fully fulfilling God's law. On the cross, he takes his righteousness and he puts it in our account. It's what theologians call imputed righteousness. It's a nerdy kind of word, but if you, the idea is that when you're associated with Jesus, we receive into our account all of Jesus' righteousness, his perfect life. That's how God sees us, and that's why we're justified. Remember we talked about justification last week? Justification in God's eyes means that when you have received Christ your Savior, he sees you, he now views you just as if you never sinned. That's one side of the coin. But the second side is God views you just as if you always obeyed. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. That's the exchange that happens. When Jesus climbs that tree in Jerusalem weeks later and to die as a substitute for our sin, Christ got our guilt and we get God's grace. That's the face of grace. This is a preview of the central purpose of Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. See, grace, grace turns things around, doesn't it? It, it turns things upside down, and that's, that's why this crowd's upset. <laughs> maybe like you, maybe you're here today, and you're, you haven't been in church in a while, and, you know, you would, the people in that crowd, let me tell you, they thought God was for the clean and for the competent, for the righteous, for the rule keepers. But here Jesus says, no, God, his heart, is for the unclean and the incompetent and the rule breakers, the unrighteous, and thank God for that. Because you have to place yourself somewhere in the story. If you don't identify with Zacchaeus, maybe you identify with the crowd. <laughs> and see, the reality is this. When we measure our righteousness against Christ's perfect life, the Bible says even your good works are like filthy rags. Because they're tainted by pride and self-interest. So when Jesus says, I came to seek 
and to save the lost. He's not saying, well, you know, there are some bad people who need saving and some good people who don't. He's saying, all y'all are unrighteous and all y'all need saving. The only difference is some of you are aware of it and some of you aren't. Which one are you? See, God's grace is so hard for religious people to get our minds around. If you grew up in the church, you've kind of spent your life in church, there could be a huge blessing for that, right? The blessing part is, you know, the scriptures, you begin understanding Jesus, that's a blessing. The challenge can be that we lose touch with grace. We think grace saved us, but now it's up to me to, you know, get my act in order and, you know, raise my family just perfectly and be serving and do all these kind of things. Because the more stuff I do, the more God has to accept me. For some of us, the love of God is blocked not by our unrighteous badness, but by our self-righteous goodness, which is why in the Gospels you see it's the prostitute and the tax collectors who are always getting grace, and the Pharisees don't. In fact, put your finger in Luke 19. If you flip back one chapter to Luke 18, Jesus tells us amazing, this short little story. In verse 9, he says this, to some who were confident of their own what? Righteousness. I'm confident I'm a pretty good person. And what did they do? Look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, so a person who works in the church and they know the Bible, and the other a what? Tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. This is an amazing prayer. I love this. Look at this prayer. Imagine this sounds so good. Ready? God, we just worship you today, and I, I thank you that I am not like other people. Praise Jesus. I, I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or oh, for heaven's sakes. Even like this, what? Tax collector, okay? And this is so interesting. In other words, this is the guy who's praying, God, I just thank you. That was a, such a powerful message by Tim last week. Thank you, God, I'm not like the woman at the well. <laughs> just five-time failure. <laughs> thank you, God, I'm not like the cheater in the tree. I've never embezzled one thing I always taught. And what happens is this guy gives the evidence. He says, God... I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Religious people love checklists. <laughs> Does God love me? Well, let's see. I pray every morning. Check. I fast twice a week. Check. Honey, did we write our tithe check? Check, 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 check. Okay, I'm good. God, you love me. You have to love me. It's what I call DIY religion. You know what DIY is? Do it yourself. You ever watch those shows? Modern Christians love this idea that we can check certain goodness boxes off. We tick off our spiritual to-do list, and God has to accept us. We love this idea that, God, you're beholden to my hard work and moral effort. He has to accept me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at all the plates that I'm spinning, the way I'm serving, the way I'm giving, the way, you know, the perfect family I'm raising, and I'm working very hard to keep it all together and keep everything going and earn the approval. Religion is exhausting. <laughs> Religion is exhausting. We can't do it. We can't keep God's law perfectly. Even the best of us fall short at some point. And when we do, to make ourselves feel better, what the human nature does is we try to find someone who's really screwed up <laughs> and compare ourselves to them. They become the benchmark. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thanks, I'm not like other people like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But watch this. The tax collector stood at a distance. He couldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home. What's the word? 
justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. See, grace turns everything upside down, and that's why so many of us hate it. <laughs> if you're religious, you don't like As Tulian Shavijan notes in his book, One Way Love, most Christians have a transactional, conditional operating system. In other words, we have this performance mentality that says, well, God helps those who what? Help themselves. You know, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God helps those who... That is not a verse, okay? You, did you know that? Did you know that's not a verse? And you, you're like, I know it now. Okay, all right. That's fine. 68% of churchgoers believe that's a verse in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's the performance mentality the folks in the crowd have. But listen, Jesus did not come for good people who need a little helping hand. He came for those who are completely hopeless without him. See, most people think Jesus is a clean-cut guy who drafts other clean-cut guys. But your vision writes, he's like, God doesn't select his team the way the NFL draft works in April, right? He's not looking for those with the best track record, those who have the most performance, even the best potential. In fact, it's just the opposite. God calls the weak, the sinful, the despised for one reason. So all of the glory goes to who? Jesus. What would we think of grace if Jesus walks into town and he says, okay, where is the valedictorian of Jericho University? Come on, I'd love to, I want to sit down with you and have some lunch. Or right, where's the mayor who got elected by a landslide? Let's, let's hang. This would only reinforce the idea that God's love is like every other love in the world, conditional. We perform, we keep the law, and that means God approves, God accepts. No need for Jesus. But God's grace, guys, it's fruit from another tree. It is offered first and foremost to those who are aware of their deep need. The Bernie Madoffs, the Zacchaeuses of the world, which is all of us. Do you see yourself in this story? Are you Zacchaeus or are you in the crowd? Bad people don't struggle with grace. Good people do. It takes awareness of your radical sin to understand God's radical love and grace. The gospel, the good news is that all people, good and bad, are free to stop pretending we're anything but fellow tree climbers. We're just sinners in need of a savior. And see, you can come down from your tree for one reason. Why can you come down? Because Jesus was willing to climb one of his own. That is so liberating if you take it to heart. If you look at the cross, if you take this to heart like Ruth did, Ruth is an amazing woman. She grew up in the church, 54 years in the church. But she got so busy spinning plates, trying to perform, trying to meet expectations, she actually missed the face of grace. This is her story. Well, I've always tried hard to get it right. I've just tried hard to get things right. That meant going to church every Sunday and sending my kids to a Christian school and we did family devotions and memorized scriptures together. And then when my youngest son, he's 18 now, his bad behavior turned worse and he started going down a really bad path. And um, I didn't know what to do except try harder and do more. And so for me, that meant, okay, well, I've got to pray more. I must not have enough faith because if I did, then God would take this away from me. And I just kept trying to work hard to fix things and control it. He was arrested in September, this past September, for drug charges. 
and I was absolutely devastated. I was just heartbroken. And you know, all that I tried to do had just failed me. And I was, I was so angry at him. I was angry at my husband for what he had done or hadn't done. And you know, at the time I couldn't even say it, but I was so angry at God. I mean, why would he let this happen? Why was he not taking this away from me when I prayed so hard? You know, I knew that I had been saved by grace. I knew that it took grace to save me, but I did not understand that it was grace that sustained me. And here I was thinking that I had to do something and be something and, and, and control it. And I got it all wrong. Through that, that I just came to the end of my rope and said, this is it, it's yours, God, I give it up. My circumstances haven't changed at home. This has been a really, really hard week. But you know, here's the greatest news. When it's all over, I get to stand before my holy God. And he will present me as a perfect parent to him because of Jesus' righteousness, not because of anything I've done. And in my self-righteousness, I ran my son away from the very thing that I wanted him to, to have so badly. So giving it back to God, he's going to chase after my son. That's not my job. That's his. I have been sitting in church every single week of 54 years, and I missed it. I missed it. And because of Jesus, it's finished. And I'm so grateful to know that now. It's beautiful to see a heart touched by grace. Ruth said, I sat in church for 54 years. I missed it. I missed it. Can I ask, are you missing it? Do you see yourself through the eyes of God? The Bible actually says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. What begins with grace, your salvation, that's the same thing that sustains it. It doesn't shift somewhere along the way to your hard work or your performance. So when your world falls apart or you fail, you come face to face with a loss or a disappointment, life doesn't turn out the way that you had hoped. His grace is enough because you are loved. You are accepted. Who are you? You are a daughter of the Most High God. Who are you? You're a son of the King. You're an heir of the throne of heaven and you are loved perfectly as much as an infinite perfect God is capable of loving you. The gospel announces that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won the victory on the cross, you're free to fail. God said, be righteous, and Jesus sacrificed himself and said, it is finished. So the pressure is off. That's the face of grace. And it changes everything. It is so liberating to walk with Christ. It, it, it means, it frees you from having to be perfect. It frees you from having to hold it all together. Grace is not just good news. It is the best news in the universe. Your Father in heaven loves and accepts and approves of you regardless of what you do or don't bring to the table. 
There are no ifs, ands, or buts, no qualifiers or conditions. That's reason to celebrate, amen? That's what happens with Zacchaeus. Look at the end. His heart explodes for the way that Christ accepted him. I love the ending of the story. It starts with Jesus giving radical grace to a thief, but it ends with Zacchaeus responding with radical generosity. Look at this, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said, look, Lord, I've become a Christian. I'm calling Jesus Lord now. He's become a follower of Jesus. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. What happens when the reality of grace sinks into the soil of your heart, into the roots? When you know I am forgiven forever. My past, present, future sins wiped clean. What happens when you know that God's love for me is unshakable? Spontaneous generosity. A grateful heart is a generous heart. He says, look, Lord, remember, what did he have to swear allegiance to? Caesar. He'd have to say every day, Caesar is Lord. Caesar Hyperius. He says, look, Lord, Jesus, you are now my commander. I'm under your authority. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my, is my, is my savior. I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. He says, I'm going to tithe 50%. I don't know if he's a millionaire or a billionaire. It was a lot. <laughs> it's so generous. It's so over the top. The very thing he held on to the most, money, is the first thing he's liberated to give away. And then he says, I'm going to make restitution. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll give you back four times the amount. There's a little equation I want to leave you with today. Repentance plus restitution leads to rejoicing. See, the truth is Jesus doesn't just forgive people. He changes people. He changes hearts. Zacchaeus came to saving faith. And he says, Lord, here and now, I'm giving you everything. See, Christianity is not do whatever you want, and then God will forgive you, and then kind of just keep doing whatever you want and just keep going for forgiveness. Christianity is admitting, I have sinned, and I need a heart transplant. <laughs> and because I see what Jesus did to forgive me, his life, his blood, I'm holding nothing back. I give everything. That's what it means to repent. Ever wonder, like, what does it mean to repent? Here's what it means. In your life, from God's perspective, there are only two fixed points. There is Jesus and there is sin. And you can only go in one direction at a time. So sin is when you actually look at God and you turn your back on him and you walk towards what you want. I'm going to do it. Now for Zacchaeus, it's money. It's power. Repentance literally means turning. It means I'm changing my mind. I'm thinking this through. And in light of what God's done for me, watch, I'm turning my back on my sin and I'm walking towards Jesus. It's turning. And he does this publicly. He does it with rejoicing. He dances kind of in the air. The word for gladness, it says when gladness, it's a bad translation. It means with great hilarity. Like he's laughing. He's like, are you <laughs> In Campus Crusade's film, the Jesus film, it shows this little guy and he goes in and he like unlocks a safe in his house and he comes out with all these gold coins and he throws them in the air. It's like, I'm making it rain, everybody. <laughs> See, grace touches the heart. Guilt can never change the heart. Right, parents? Does guilt change your kid's heart? <laughs> Any parent will tell you guilt-induced obedience without real repentance is shallow and short-lived. Let me tell you as a father, if my two kids get in a fight, they have an argument, and I separate them, right? Then I call them downstairs. I say, all right, guys, 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 what are you, what are you doing? You're hurting each other. You, say sorry to her. You, say sorry to him. And they both look at each other, and they go, Sorry. You know, does that bring me joy as a father? Thank you, Jesus. The hearts of my children have been gripped by your grace. 
and love for each other has compelled them to apologize. No. At most, I am modestly satisfied in that moment because at the very least, they did what I told them to do. But begrudgingly, there's no actual heart change that's taking place. But watch, how much more delighted I am, am, am I, as a father, when the two of them get in a fight and I separate them, and then without finger pointing or arm twisting, the one says to the other through tears, I'm sorry, what I said to you was wrong. I know I hurt you, and I'm sorry. What does my father heart do in that moment? <laughs> I'm like, yes, thank you, thank you. Something's taking root here. I rejoice, I celebrate. See, the law can only force external obedience, but grace changes your heart. You get new motives. You get a new desire. That's what happens to Zacchaeus. His heart's transformed by grace, so he makes restitution. He says, guys, the whole crowd's here. They're all grumbling. He says, guys, if I've ripped any of you guys off, me or one of my crew, I'm going to pay back four times. That's restitution. That's the fruit of grace. You make amends. Let me be clear what restitution is not. Restitution is not penance, where you pay people back to earn their forgiveness. Restitution is not karma, where you're paying off debts so you can be forgiven. Zacchaeus is already forgiven, and it inspires restitution. He says, I want to right all of my wrongs. I want to pay back those I ripped off. Jesus has been loving and generous to me. I'm going to be loving and generous. See, grace always inspires generosity. Can you imagine the effect on the crowd at this moment? They've been grumbling, oh, he's with the, he's with the sinner. How do you think they responded at this moment? <laughs> Guy runs into his house. He's like, honey, 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 Zacchaeus? Oh, that's Zacchaeus. No, listen, listen. The guy who ripped us off? Yeah, our college, our life savings, our retirement, that's son. No, 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 no. He met Jesus. So what? He's a follower of Jesus. Every, oh, we got religion? He confessed his sin, and he just pledged he's going to pay us back four times what he stole. Um, yay, team Jesus? <laughs> the people were thrilled that Zacchaeus got saved. See, repentance and restitution leads to rejoicing and inspires generosity. The law demands good works, but only grace actually can produce them out of your heart. See, guys, grace is not just once you are saved. Once you're saved, you're called to live in grace and dispense it to others. You right wrongs, you help others, you forgive them because you've been forgiven. You say, Jesus has been generous with me, I'm going to be generous with others. Think about all Jesus gave Zacchaeus. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, a new nature, new thoughts. Jesus said to him, today, today, salvation has come to this house. What did Zacchaeus do? Nothing. <laughs> what did Zacchaeus pay? Nothing. <laughs> and he just got the greatest gift anybody can receive, eternal life, salvation, forgiveness. And it made him become one of the most generous men in history. Jesus is my Lord. He's generous, so I'm going to be generous too. Freely I've received, freely I give. That's discipleship. It's walking with Jesus in grace and dispensing it liberally towards others in your life. Guys, that's the kind of relationship God wants with every single man and woman in this, in this room today. He's saying, come down from your tree. I want to be your friend. I want to be your Savior and Lord. You want proof of my love? Look at this tree. Instead of greed and selfishness, a small life, I'm going to give you a life of love and radical generosity. So, Come down, turn from your sin, take my hand, and receive my grace. How did Zacchaeus respond? How will you respond today? I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Zacchaeus said, here, right here, right now, I what? Give. What is God asking you to give him? What's asking you to give him today? I don't mean 
money? What's he asking you to, to repent from? Is there some secret sin? Is there some sinful habit that you're like, ah, I thought it was secret, but actually God knows. It's convicting me. Is it, is it self-righteousness? Is it religious pride? What's he convicting you to make restitution for? Are you like, I've been thinking I should apologize to somebody, but I'm waiting for them. That this is your confirmation. You go to them. You write that wrong that you committed. Here and now I give. What is the greatest thing you can give to Christ today? Greatest thing you can offer Jesus right now is your heart, your whole life. Transform me by your grace. The gift of salvation comes to Zacchaeus, and you can have that today. We have had dozens of people receive the free gift of salvation, and we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Again, I don't know what brought you here. Maybe a friend invited you, or you heard we're giving out free T-shirts. <laughs> but today, it finally clicked. The penny dropped. You're not going to leave here and go just pick up your kids. This is a moment I'm going to actually get right with God. I am going to be forgiven of all my past sins, my present ones, and have grace for all the future. And you have the guarantee of heaven. You will know with 100% confidence finally that you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Not because of what you've done, but what Jesus did on the cross. So I'm going to give you that opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. Make him your Lord and Savior to become a Christian. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit come to seek and to save the lost. I've come for you today. All you need to do is receive it. Let's bow our heads right now. All our campuses, just bow your heads. Clear some room for the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray right now for those in this room who are about to respond in faith. God, there are people I know right now, there are people who are feeling conviction. Lord, let them know that's you. But Father, also fill them with joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, knowing that this is a moment where things will change forever. Their destiny will fundamentally change. Father, I ask that you'd fill them right now with the courage to respond, to pray out loud, and to receive your gift of amazing grace. God, I'm going to ask them, invite them to raise their hands. Holy Spirit, would you just lift their arms as a sign of repentance and surrender to you? Again, with all heads bowed, if you're here today and you realize you need grace, you need Jesus, you want salvation, you got it. I want you to raise your hand. Would you just raise your hand right where you are, right where you're sitting? Praise God for you. Just keep it up. I see your hand over here, right here in front. Two people sitting right here, a couple right there, two in the back. Praise God for you. Keep your hand up right over here, sir. I see you. Awesome. This is a day for you. You too, in the back. Praise God. Just put your hands up. This is a moment just before God. Salvation moment. Jesus is offering you eternal life. He'll cleanse you from all sin. Praise God for you. Hands up all over the place. Okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation to give your life to Christ. I'm just going to say a few brief words. You could just repeat them after me, but say them out loud. Again, I'll pray, and then you repeat it out loud. All our campuses, let's actually all pray this prayer so that we can have unity together. Here we go. Ready? Jesus, thank you for loving me, for inviting me to be your friend. I admit I'm a sinner. Come be my Savior. Be my Lord. I turn from my sin and receive your righteousness. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with joy. I follow you all of my days. Thank you, God, for grace. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.